As well as the birdcage, uh, we'd also recommend you to stream, uh, currently, as of this recording, on Amazon Prime, uh, Midsummer. It would be Ari Aster's uh, Midsummer? Midsummer. 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 And that is Midsummer. If, if Spider-Man and Spider-Verse isn't ticking all the boxes, then go watch Midsummer. Ari Aster's Midsummer. Have you got maybe a second film that yes, people I could do. watch this week? Uh, yeah, Midsummer is definitely a film worth watching. And that is Midsummer. The, the next logical step from spring would be midsummer midsummer ariaster's midsummer then i think midsummer would have a lot to offer you and there's obviously nothing as colorful as midsummer ariaster's midsummer um, ariaster's midsummer well, obviously football's a winter sport so i think the furthest you could get away is around midsummer so you know i'm thinking nice dinner flowers it makes sense that you would want to watch midsummer and that is Midsummer, the Ari Aster movie starring Florence Pugh, and I believe his name is that Guy from the Good Place. Ari Aster's Midsummer. Midsummer. Which is Midsummer. After some deep personal debate, I have settled on Midsummer. And also another movie that should definitely be made into a video game, and that movie is Ari Aster's Midsummer. Um, would be Midsummer. Um, and that film is Midsummer. What it lacks in wrestling, um, makes <laughs> up. It makes up for with um with cultiness face smashing and bear stuffing is the ariaster cult masterpiece cult in two senses of the words midsummer derailed my train of thought anyway i, I think you were about bears. to recommend midsummer Graham. <laughs> you want slow burning horrific horror that just is told brilliantly acted brilliantly looks beautiful midsummer my choice is going to be Midsummer, And we're going to watch Midsummer. A film that is great for just kind of emotionally screaming is Ari Aster's Midsummer, And that movie is Ari Aster's Midsummer. If you don't like Manchester, Joy Division, the really happy, upbeat music that they provided us all, what better film to watch than Midsummer? It needs no introduction because it is two and a half hours of pure fucking brilliance. And that is Ari Aster's Midsummer. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. Ugh, no one asked for this. Welcome to the podcast nobody asked for with me, Ian Harris. And me, Graham Jones. And this week, we are wishing you all Glad Midsummer. Which is Swedish. And I probably butchered it. Flawless. So because this is being released on Midsummer, we are finally going into great and illustrious detail on the movie we have recommended you 37 times so far. And that is, of course, Ari Aster's Midsummer. Which I believe I pronounced it correct that time. Yeah, it's Ari. Which I only I only learnt from watching the the featurette thing on the uh, on the director's cut thing they kept referring to Mizari. so we'll do the same because i assume they know what they're talking about to be fair i researched this thing because you know that's what we do we try to maintain at least an illusion of amateur professionalism and it is people pronounce it however they want to pronounce it so maybe we should just ask him not that we have any guests it would be nice but you know who needs people actually involved in the movie when you have us? Yeah. I'm sure by the time Midsummer rolls around next year and we do our updated version of the Midsummer episode, I'm sure 
Ari will be clawing his way to get get some exposure on the podcast nobody asked for. Yeah. We'll give him a mug and everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what everyone wants. They want the mug. Yeah. So they just want the swag in. Everyone's in it for the swag. I've played rugby long enough to know that is the only reason people play sport is for <laughs> the swag. Uh, not the podcast swag. That would be weird. So uh, the socially distant sports bar sponsor a rugby team now. So, you know, weirder things have happened. So what what we're going to do today then? So because we're aware that not everybody has watched Midsummer, regardless of how often we've been harping on about it, we're going to stay away from spoilers during the introduction. So we're just going to talk about uh, Midsummer, uh, the plot of it, why we think people should watch it, why we loved the film, why we recommended it 37 times so far. Because what people are probably going to be asking is, hey, now you've done this detailed analysis, are you going to keep recommending it? And the answer is yes. Yes. And then once we've done the intro, we will have like a some kind of spoiler klaxon. And then after that, we're going to go into our top three lists of moments that stuck with us from Midsummer. We've talked about it at length numerous times about how this film is something that kind of embedded itself in our brain and stayed there so our top three lists this week are going to be those scenes so if you haven't watched midsummer stay up to the klaxon and then politely and respectfully fuck off and watch midsummer and i think am i right in saying 5th of july it's coming onto netflix i want to say oh is it? Yes, 5th of July. So you're li- if you're listening to this on to the 24th, that's what, like a week and a bit? Yeah, so, not yeah, long to wait. Not long to wait at all. And hey, first person to message us asking us to buy Midsummer for them, I'll send you the DVD. So yeah, stay stay up to the stay up until the spoiler claps and if you haven't seen it, hopefully we do a decent Alec Baldwin style pitch for you and then go watch Midsummer and rejoin us once you've watched it. And I think... Before we delve into the intro that we've we've kind of teed up there today, if you're listening to this today, well, of course you're listening to this today because it's always today when you listen to this. But if you're listening to this today on release day, the twenty fourth of June, there is there there are various points where we could be throughout our day today. So uh, just to highlight the hold that this movie has over us, our plan today, today release day, not today whenever you're listening to that because that would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if so, so this, our, like... our, our plan today, today, which is even funnier because we're recording this a week in advance. <laughs> yeah. Our, our plan on the 24th of June, 2021. That is a better way of putting it. <laughs> so depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this first thing in the morning, which I'm sure most of you do, it's the first thing that you do on a Thursday. Oh, of course. We're, we're probably still sleeping. Um, separate beds. We don't live together or sleep together. Well, no, no, we we separate. It's like um, Bert and Ernie. <laughs> separate beds, but the same room. We've got a picture in between. Yeah. If you're getting to us about midday-ish, we're we're meeting up in London. Going to grab some lunch. Any point between about midday and let's say five o'clock, we're planning to hit up as many Swedish slash Nordic bars in the capital as possible. Evening time, I think about seven-ish, we've got some food booked. And then from 8.30 onwards, uh, we will be at the Prince Charles watching Midsummer on Midsummer. Because what else do we you do with, with the 24th of June? And we have both taken a full day's holiday to uh, engage in such festivities. I am contemplating taking the Friday off as well. 
But, <laughs> sorry, uh, today's tomorrow. Not not today's, like today's, today's tomorrow. Yeah. Friday the 25th of June, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> Which is uh, my, my brother's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Tom. I'm sure you're not listening, but happy birthday. Yeah. Which also means it's 12 years since Michael Jackson died. Because he uh, he died on my brother's 18th birthday, which I'm fairly sure is something I drunkenly told you this weekend. I'm pretty sure you did, yeah. Nice. As you said, the 24th of June is midsummer. So what better time to have our midsummer special? So I made a couple of notes on midsummer, the actual event. So it's a celebration that predates Christianity, and it's found in a number of cultures throughout the globe. A lot of those, uh, so Midsummer, as a lot of festivals were, was then co-opted as a Christian festival and is celebrated as St. John's Day in a lot of places as well. So there's a lot of unifying features, so to speak, of a lot of these festivals. But So Austria celebrate Midsummer with a procession of ships down the Danube with fireworks and bonfires on the banks. Bulgarians celebrate something called Enjovenden, uh, which again, I'm sure I've uh, butchered, where they believe if you see the sunrise in the morning, you'll be healthy throughout the year. Um, and it's also a time of year, which is a, a thing which a lot of areas seem to believe is like medicinal herbs will be more potent. So you're supposed to, that's when you're supposed to pick all of your stuff. It's a secular holiday in Quebec where, again, they light massive fires. Denmark also has bonfires, but they're there to repel witches and spirits. Um, Estonia, it's more of a family singing and dancing event, but there are also more fires. Norway, they have more fires and mock weddings. So I'm not sure how joined up those two events are, but that sounds like a horror movie in itself. Uh, In Romania, it's called... uh, Dragakia, which is celebrated with a lot, again, a lot of dancing. There is somebody's going to be dressed as a bride with like a wheat wreath. Sweden, there's uh, again, obviously everything kind of you'd expect from watching Midsummer. There's a lot of dancing around maypoles. You're supposed to put greenery over houses and barns, which is supposed to bring good fortune and health, but I don't think that's things people do now. There's also the idea that if you Again, a common thread through all of them is like dreaming of your future husbands. So in Sweden, apparently, if you pick seven different flowers in silence at midnight, you're supposed to dream of your future husband. Okay, I might, I might try that today. Today, there's also uh, yesterday. Today, yesterday. Oh, uh, oh, is it midnight going from the day before? I'd, assu- I'd assume so. Uh, especially okay. with a lot of Nordic countries celebrate the day like the evening before. Yeah, I was reading that it's so big in Sweden that a lot of people are, uh, would prefer that to be their national holiday. Yeah, I think there's a real movement for it. Yeah. It's a movement, it's in circles around a maypole. Concentric circles. Um, They also like a bit of skinny dipping after schnapps on Midsummer. But I'm not sure I'd go skinny dipping in Sweden, because regardless of how Midsummery it is, that sounds fucking freezing. No, however, I mean, we're not too far from the Serpentine today today. True, yeah. Never say never. I'll bring the schnapps. <laughs> I'm fairly sure skinny dipping in the Thames is just going to bring another pandemic along. Well, or if 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 you listen to James Acaster, we'll both end up oh, with type yes. 1 diabetes. Yeah. yeah, in the UK with Midsummer, bonfires feasting in merriment. It kind of petered out after 
the Reformation, where it was clamped down on. And in Wales, as is a lot of the case with Welsh things, it petered out because England didn't like Wales doing Wales things. (laughs) In Alaska, they play a midnight game of baseball in uh, Fairbanks at 10.30 and with no artificial lighting. And apparently you can just keep playing it because it's one of those, uh, well, midsummer, so it's midnight sun territory. Yeah. The, The general celebration themes that go through every culture's event is food family bonfires dancing health fertility and rebirth and these are all features in midsummer the film yeah i think now now is as good a time doing i I won't do a fanfare but i think we should talk about the movie now yeah it seems it seems appropriate should we go back i mean so we we saw this uh in the cinema together for the first time Odeon, I believe we went to. Yes, yes, it was it was Odeon because I remember the uh, yeah. Uh, it, I don't know why I'm worried about sounding creepy. It's something we've said before. I remember the car park. <laughs> yeah, but this is it. It was um my my memories of watching it are more that period of time afterwards than actually watching the film the first time round because it was I think it's just so unique, right? Like for a horror movie, and I, I was thinking about this a lot, and I know we always bring up the whole it's all shot in brilliant daylight blah blah blah. and we'll we'll talk about that a bit later but it is right and find there's very few horror movies that do that and so there are three scenes that aren't in daylight and one of them is a dream yeah and most at the beginning right uh one at the beginning yeah one is a dream and one of them is is that in the director's cup no 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 no. so in the in the actual Regular. Regular thing. So it's uh, cheesy going to find the book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fair. But that's that's one thing, right? That it's... it's. I don't think there's too many horror films that... Well, I mean, I don't think there's any horror films that have as much brightness and daylight as, as this film does. And it got me thinking about how... So one of the big things with Nightmare on Elm Street, when Nightmare on Elm Street came out, was like the, the reason it was so scary is the whole idea was that, well, with anything that scares you, you can go to sleep and things okay because, you know, you're not dealing yeah. with the scary things anymore. But the whole point of Nightmare on Elm Street was to take away that security blanket of going to sleep. And it feels like Midsummer's kind of done the same thing with like, well, you know, when stuff's scary, when stuff's haunted, whatever it might be, it's all happening at night. When daylight finally comes around, you can kind of relax a bit yeah. because things are, you know, the creepy creepy crawlies not the creepy crawlies the the ghouls the ghosts whatever it might be aren't there but all of the horrifying things happen in that scenario in midsummer so you kind of again it takes away it feels like it takes away another like safety blanket in the context of horror films yeah and it also means that it's it completely flips what you would expect from a horror movie on its head because like you said at the even hereditary so ariasta has referred to this as like a companion piece to hereditary so both are about family and codependency but hereditary was about things hiding in like he hid things in the background of scenes in darkness yeah with midsummer everything you need to know what is about to happen in the film has been on display for the whole thing well i mean even in the opening 30 seconds just yeah, right I, in front of you exactly <laughs> so what, what we'll quickly do so I, i'll just kind of go a brief synopsis of what the film is so it is about danny played by the incredible florence Pugh, and her anthropology student boyfriend christian who is a absolute piece of shit 
played by Jack Rayner as well. Jack Rayner is actually very, very good in this. Um, I just hate the character, and I seem to blame that on him. So on the cusp of breaking up, and then this tragedy happens in Danny's life, um, which kind of forces them to stay together. That puts more strain on their relationship, and it is in that atmosphere Danny agrees to join them on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Sweden for a festival. And this festival only occurs every 90 years in their friend's ancestral commune, the Horga. And yeah, that's as simple and unspoiler as I could put it. But it's so much... Like, I don't think it's even fair to say it's a horror. It's just horror is the most similar to what it is. I can't think of another film really like it. Like, there's a lot of comparisons to the folk horror stuff. So things like The Wicker Man. But it's not the same. It's very different. Yeah, I would say Wicker Man and, to be clear, the original Wicker Man not Nicolas Cage and the Bees. Though Nicolas Cage was in a bear suit at one point. <laughs> yeah, true. The um I think there are there are definite similarities, but I think they they end at the point of like outsiders in a weird culture. Yeah. But there's so much more that is happening in Midsummer. Like there's the arcs of all of these characters, particularly Danny. You've also got the um the way that it exposes the flaws of all of the americans i guess yeah so so that's made notes on that while watching it as well because it stuck out it stuck out (laughs) it stuck out a lot more on the second time for me so usually in a film like this or films in general like you have your outsiders and you have your kind of weird group right so the wicker man it was the island and the outsider was the the policeman coming in 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 midsummer the outsiders, they're constantly shown as being, you know, like self-serving, uncaring, general kind of fuckwits. <laughs> but the the evil cult, though crazy bizarre, are shown as being nothing but friendly. They go out of their way to help people. They're the only people... The bad guys are the ones who are the only people there for Danny's character and are championing the idea of expressing your emotions. It, yeah. It's, but that then makes you feel so uncomfortable because it would be like you feel like you're cheering on, to use your example, it would be like cheering on Freddy Krueger. You're trained that the main characters are your on your side. Oh, is that not a thing we're meant to do? I've always been Tim Freddy. Team Freddy. Yeah, I've got the jumper and the hat and everything. Oh, I was, I was wondering. And the new tattoo, which just says Team Freddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, should, I should have read into that a bit more. <laughs> But yeah, it, it makes you, it, it's, it just adds to how distinctly uncomfortable the film is. Because it's not, like I said, it, it's, it's not, it's like horror, it's horror and thriller adjacent. I feel like we need another word for it. We'll call it attention. Yeah, I, th- I, I agree with that because you've not got, there, there's certain things and tropes in horror movies. Like there's not a single jump scare in Midsummer. No. There's never a moment where you're having that. It's just this general... And there are elements of gore, but they're few and far between. Like, when they happen, they're they're in your face and they're very prominent. But it's not like a hostel, for example, where it's, you know, or a saw, where it's bang, 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 bang. It's, there is, and I think you put it really well, I think it is just this level of discomfort and 
that just sits with you throughout the entire and i think even before you get to sweden there's even elements of that i think at the beginning which we'll again we'll discuss in a bit more detail later but yeah throughout the whole thing you're just kind of feeling a little bit like yeah uneasy uncomfortable well and what what adds to that as well is the fact the soundtrack is incredible like the the score behind it is basically a character in itself oh it's so good and it, it is it's a complete it's 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 like certain songs are both kind of ramping up the tension while also either sounding quite positive or also being quite slow. Mm. Like it's completely contradictory to what a soundtrack should be. It's both happy and sad. It's I yeah, I'm not I as as explained previously if it's if it's not a song that sounds like fight star my musical theory is very bad <laughs> so i can't explain it it's but it, it adds so much to every scene but i think that that's again like the soundtrack is very similar to the film right because the the soundtrack and like you say there are quite slow songs and but i think in the same way that the film is quite slow burning and makes you feel uneasy. I think the soundtrack kind of does the same thing. Like, there's definitely songs in there where, again, they kind of they go on for quite a long time, and you do just feel a little bit uncomfortable listening to them as well. Well, that's that kind of brings me on to one thing I didn't appreciate the first time, and with hindsight, it's probably why I love this film so much. Is all the takes are really long. Yeah, like you said, like the like the songs. It, it's Ariaster is very it's nearly like it's filmed like a play mm-hmm. so a lot of the scenes you're seeing people basically full length it's very slow movements of the camera he's letting things unfold in front of you which then adds the tension as well because you're it feels like you're building up towards something happening and that like you said that there are some very gory bits but there are films that are a lot gorier than midsummer mm. there are gorier things in there are definitely films which are like you said hostel is just a bloodbath from middle to end there are certain scenes in films that are a lot gorier and more realistic than midsummer but the difference is where a director would usually cut away from something ariasta just lingers on it and that's why i think it seems so much gorier than arguably it is is because you know a, a, a scene where a normal horror director would cut 20 odd times and you would have, yeah, not to dive too deeply into my future notes, where you would have like loud music and loud uh, sound effects, you know, like the, your Foley team will be going fucking mental kind of thing. It's just very weirdly understated and you see it from beginning to end. Yeah. And you don't, again, you don't really get that in films, which again sets this out from everything else. But I think, and interestingly, it kind of puts you in the shoes of the the Americans and the the Brit couple as well. In that they're seeing these long, extended, weird yeah. things playing out in yeah. front of them, right? And they can't look away. And I think there's there's an element to that that feels like, yeah, you're be, you're being put in their shoes because the the cultures, the rituals, and everything of the Haga are just, yeah, I guess, is alien to to us as observers as they are to the people that have been been brought along to experience it. yeah and i i think i think that's why it was such a visceral experience watching it like we said it, it it's so unlike anything else we've seen and 
because it does kind of have that the guys you've been trained to root for when you're watching films you shouldn't be which then starts bringing up the questions with wait well if i'm not rooting for them am i condoning all of this evil cult shit and that's all while like you said watching it through the eyes of kind of the outsiders to everything that's going on all while you're waiting for shit to go down because the tension has been building solidly for an hour it's just i i've never seen anything like it it it, like we said before we sat in we sat in the car park after watching this film in basic silence and then i think it was just that was that could be the best film i've ever seen there was also a period for a good week or two i think afterwards where one of us would text the other one's like i'm still i'm still thinking about midsummer <laughs> i felt numb afterwards yeah like, I not the... not in not in the the film that shan't be named way yeah, yeah in in the there was so much to take in and it affected me on such kind of a deep level that i basically had to proper psychoanalyze myself to figure out what was going on yeah so that's that's why we recommend it all the time is it is it is i think i i messaged you about this yesterday so i i haven't watched it since we saw it in the cinema and i rewatched it earlier this week because we're doing a podcast on it it makes sense for me to rewatch the film and i was terrified that i would watch it and i wouldn't feel the same way because i would have to pretend like we'd set ourselves up too much <laughs> for me to then turn around and go you know what it was only the first time it hasn't it hasn't stuck with me maybe i was having an off day but it still hit me and it still gave me it was a a lot of the same things hit me and then you're also a lot more open to seeing the other things like the foreshadowing in the film is fucking crazy like we said because it's all in brilliant dazzling daylight for 99 percent of the film you can see things in the background all the time which are relevant later yeah that's that's crazy like some of the stuff that's there throughout there's also some there's some really cool bits that i found out i saw in pictures afterwards and then when i re- on rewatches noticed them but like the you know images hidden in the trees and things like that yeah and one thing that also that was really clever with some of the i guess editing techniques is um i don't think this is too much of a spoiler right now to say there's element there's a bit where there's some some drugs are involved and some (laughs) there's psychedelics are a big part of this film yeah but there's um but the way that it's so subtle the editing that it's making parts of the screen kind of flicker and move to the point where you're watching it and you're like did that did that move like what's yeah. that like yeah it's it's subtle enough but it's just yeah it's just so so well done yeah it's as you can guess given you are listening to an episode called the midsummer special on a podcast where we've recommended this every week it's just great yeah isn't it i mean yeah yeah where'd you go from i tell you where we go from there ian what should people watch this week? I think it's your movie recommendation, is it, this week? Yes, yes. So what I'm going to recommend is Midsummer: the director's cut. Excellent choice. That's, that's the version of the film I watched this week. Hadn't seen it before. It's one of those rare direct... A, a lot of the time, director's cuts, you can tell where the scenes are added in, and you also know why they were taken out. Yeah. Not, not so with this. 
a lot a lot of the added scenes actually added a lot of context and a lot of weight it's it didn't necessarily elevate the film yeah but it definitely didn't detract from it and it didn't ruin the viewing experience either i thought there was for me there was one scene that i was like oh this didn't necessarily have to be there which is the scene at the lake however later on there's a part where you're like yeah i was like oh oh okay which yeah like you say it does it does add the context to it so yeah it it, 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 not having that context was fine yeah like it it didn't it didn't ruin the viewing experience but having the context it was a proper like ah there we go yeah yeah that that's what this is okay so the director's cut is is verging on about three hours right it's it's a hefty piece of cinema if people haven't got three hours to invest into watching the midsummer director's cut what do you think they should watch in, instead this week? Okay, so if you don't have three hours to watch a film, which is fair enough, you know, not everyone has those hours in the day. What I would recommend you watching, though, is Ari Aster's Midsummer. So it's still still a fairly hefty 148 minutes long, but it's 148 minutes well spent. And it's like we said, it's still a a weirdly streamlined film given how colossally slow-burning it is. But it just makes sense, doesn't it? It's It has to be Midsummer. Yep, so that's Midsummer or Midsummer. Midsummer or Midsummer. Nice. Okay, so if you haven't watched Midsummer, thank you for listening to an episode entirely dedicated to Midsummer. We appreciate the, uh, the effort and time you've put in, but I would strongly recommend you stop listening now. Otherwise, we will just be talking in detail and full spoiler territory about Midsummer. So we would want you to stop listening and then come back once you've watched it. Like I said, the first person who tweets or Instagrams us, please buy me the film, we will send you the director's cut. I mean, what what more could you want? We're the podcast that keeps on giving. We just care. So, uh, spoiler klaxon. Spoiler klaxon. Spoilers ahead. Warning. Spoilers ahead. Warning. Seriously, we're going to be talking about everything. Right. So now it's just now it's just us. <laughs> Appreciate you guys for sticking around. I know some of you haven't seen Midsummer, but you've stayed after the klaxon anyway, mm. and we appreciate that. But you can't angrily tweet or Instagram us now. Like we did our bit. Whatever hilarious sound effect I just did, you knew what the deal was. You know what you've signed up for. So before we go into our our top three list. I want to run you through some notes I took while rewatching this because I'm I'm quite happy with these. <laughs> you don't deserve her in capital letters. So true. Communicate you prick in capital letters. He's the worst, which took up a quarter of a page, quickly followed by manipulative cunt nugget. Uh, they seem remarkably calm watching the possible murder of a child. An hour and a half in, she suddenly clicks that shit is fucked. Tree pissing, so many cunts, and sacrifice bingo. <laughs> I like how a good 60% of that was just about Christian as well. Such a fucking bell end, man. One, one thing I do want to talk about as well before we go in, just to emphasize a point I made earlier, which I couldn't embellish a bit more, is about how the outsiders you view quite negatively and they're the ones you should be supporting. The weirdest thing is, like, the friendliest guy in the film. Is the guy who's brought them to this cult that he knows are going to murder them. Yeah. 
Pella is his name, isn't it? Is I think it it, 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 is it Pella or Pele? I think it's Pella. Pele, he used to play for Brazil. And he, he was in Escape to Victory. For, yeah, he was. And for legal reasons, we don't believe that Pele has taken any Americans to their death at a Swedish Midsummer Festival. So, like we said, what we're going to be doing is we're going through our top three moments that stuck with us from Midsummer, Or, or stuck with us. That's the case, maybe. Yeah. So that's just got an umlaut over the year, right? Stook. <laughs> Moments that stook with us. And, uh, yeah, I think I should go first. God, we're throwing, we're throwing caution to the wind this week, Ian. Caution, caution to the wind. The first moment that has stuck with me from Midsummer is the opening of the film. And I mean literally, like, the first 20 seconds of the film. So... We're uh, imagine Graham and I sitting, sitting in the dark, elbows accidentally touching, and it it feels strange and surprising, but it also feels so natural. I love, I do love a furtive elbow touch. Yeah, we have, you know, it's got a big thing of popcorn. Ice Blast has obviously been drunk during the trailers because nobody has ever had any of that left during the film. No, and we've, you know, the the middle because this was obviously pre-COVID. We 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 put the middle armrest up. We didn't we didn't want that obstructing anything oh yeah 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 you don't want that so film opens and it's a painting it's a painting with weird jarring ethereal folk music in the background and it's not a painting like on a wall in a house or like a painting he zoomed in on it is just a picture to show the audience and it's such a weird way to open a film and it kind of really adds into what we were talking about where this isn't like anything i've ever seen before Mm. and i'm fairly sure when it happened i said what the fuck (laughs) it's just so it's a painting by a guy called mu pan and it yeah it can only be described as really fucking weird so i'll include a link to it in kind of our episode notes but with hindsight, the mural tells the entire plot of the film. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. It shows everything. The first panel shows kind of the spectre of death over Danny, surrounded by kind of it's her parents and her sister floating around her. And there's a skeleton that's cutting the umbilical cord between or that's connecting Danny and her parents. So obviously that's the the horrific murder-suicide that opens the film and kind of is her being alone and separated from family and the support that has. So the second panel has Pella drawing, which is what he often does, and he's above Christian and Danny, kind of, we will say, spying on them. Danny is, you know, inconsolable, she's crying, and Christian's got his arm twisted behind his back because obviously this has twisted his arm into staying with her. Third panel, we have... Pella as the Pied Piper, leading the gang through a forest. I'm not going to say Cheesy again. I'm going to say his actual name. So Josh, played by William Jackson Harper. And William Jackson Harper is famous as Cheesy from The Good Place. Uh, I found a great comment online, which is, William Jackson Harper is the first actor to be typecast as man with a violently self-destructive passion about his PhD. <laughs> it's very true. Also. The guy is ripped. Oh, yeah, abs abs for days. So he's got uh, so he's the only one who seems to give a shit about his PhD and he's arguably the reason 
why they're going to Sweden and this Midsummer Festival. You then have Mark, who's played by Will Poulter, who is wearing a jester's hat because he's a fool. Do you remember the game that is played during Midsummer? They play a game in Midsummer called Skin the Fool. Yes, they do. Yeah. And, and Mark, they do. <laughs> as, as this is a, a spoiler special and you guys know what we're talking about, Mark ends up getting skinned. We then have them walking through the entrance into kind of the commune. We have the Atastupa guys jumping off of the cliff in the top. There's skulls and goblets. There's the bear. There's a lot of references to kind of there's crops in the background. And then the final panel is the uh, the sun shining down on them, which has a horrific caricature of a smiling face, but it also looks exactly like the, the final shot of the movie. You have the feast table, you have, uh, again, more skeletons in this scene. Outside of the skull above the family in the first panel, which I think is supposed to be death, you have nine skeletons in the picture. Well, six skeletons and three skulls. And that's the sacrifices throughout the film. So it's literally everything in the film, and he's shown you that in the first 20 seconds. And it's such a unique art style that it just, especially the the sun, has really it lives rent free in my brain. It's kind of like the uh, it's like the Teletubby sun, but like mm. on acid. But the Teletubbies aren't that far. Very few changes to make that into a horror movie. <laughs> True, just a different soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's such a a weird beginning to the film um especially when it's then juxtaposed with cutting to snow at night time yeah it's also i mean i know that the likelihood of someone taking all of that in and working out the plot of the movie is quite slim but at the same time it's a very ballsy move to put the entire plot of your two and a half hour <laughs> slow burning yeah. horror movie on the screen for the first 20 seconds (laughs) yeah and then combined with the music as well and it was it 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 knocks you off kilter immediately yeah which and then obviously as you're kind of a bit mentally unbalanced by that everything else that is about to happen completely smashes you one one thing with the art as well just and i think i think i read that it's the same guy that's that did it throughout but there's so many so so uh, the first one was a different guy. Right. Throughout the film, uh, which I was going to talk about as well, there's a lot of murals and artwork that appear there. Yeah. That's predominantly done by a guy called Ragnar Persson. Uh, that's um, the one and, I read, read about. Yeah and, yeah, yeah, and he did it in collaboration with uh, Henrik Svensson, who was the production designer and a graphic designer called Niall Svensson. It's, I just think, and I'm sure you'll, you'll talk about it some more, but like artwork is so prominent throughout, like, even in... The I think it's in Danny's apartment. There's there's some quite prominent artwork I think above her desk that shows stuff. There's obviously the big tapestry out in the field in with the what do we call it the pubic tapestry. That's, that sounds like a tapestry that was woven with pubic hair. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe she loves you. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously all of the the artwork in the. As I think I termed it earlier in a text message to you, the pre-sex hut. The pre-sex hut, yep. <laughs> but there's so many instances of this. That was artwork. the that was the that was the the working name for Pizza Hut. But they uh, 
<laughs> after market research they had they had to change it because not unfortunately not everyone gets laid off to go into pizza Hut. they were hoping yeah but unfortunately it is only the crust that gets stuffed yeah and also you know for us for us lactose intolerant folks it's the last thing you want to do after a pizza <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah there's some there are some incredible paintings and again they're all done in such kind of a a weird a weird isn't fair because it's all very good it reminds me a lot of have you ever seen Vic Reeves's artwork yeah I have actually <laughs> like it, it it looks quite similar to that yeah like it, it's not it, it's it's caricature so are we officially starting the fan theory that Vic Reeves is behind the Hargo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, but it's... So there's paintings that show details of the uh, the Atishtupa ritual. There's the fertility ritual shown in it. There's obviously a famous picture of a burning bear, which I don't think we really need to go into detail on. But there's also a couple of rituals that were cut from the film entirely. So there's one with a burning a burning boy in the middle of the lake. Yeah. As in floating boy for ships, not a child. But given it's midsummer, you'd be forgiven for thinking it was the latter. (laughs) Any other film, I wouldn't have had to feel like I had to make the the, the clarification. So this burning boy surrounded by women. And it's just, again, it's so weird, but it doesn't feel out of place, which... Is a very fine line to walk, I think, with surreal stuff like this. Is that it? None of the bizarre shit that happens seems out of place. No, and it's this. It's the same with the artwork and the opening mural. Is it seems so against the grain, but perfectly sums up the film. Not just because it goes through the plot, but it's thrown this thing at you out of absolutely nowhere, and you have to figure out what the fuck is going on. And really, that's. And it, that's midsummer in a nutshell. Yeah, and I guess as well the other thing with it is, like as you say, it's not bad artwork, but it, like take the tapestry for example, right? Yeah, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, like these. This is this is the kind of art that you know I could see it hundred percent the kind of thing that would be you know, potentially like hung up in the Tate or something, but not in a way that yeah. you go to. I'm going to really like go and enjoy the aesthetics of this. It's like this art is it's challenging you. It's like it's like making you ask a question like what the fuck's going on? Why do I feel like this watching? Yeah, you you wouldn't you wouldn't have the Ferris Bueller moment with the pubic tapestry. <laughs> I, I think that's what we're what we're getting at here is it's yeah, it, it's crazy. But but like I said, the, the reason it stuck with me, I mean number 1, it's so weird. Yeah, and weird sticks with you, but it is the perfect setting out of your cards for what the film is going to be. Like it is weird, it is going to surprise you. A lot of things are about to happen, and it is going to be unlike anything you've seen before. And the the other reason, again, with why it's kind of stuck with me is it, it does completely blindside you. And it, it given we've we this was the second. Ariosta movie after Hereditary. We all obviously had a lot of assumptions of what his style would be. And you're sitting down and the first thing you see is this painting with weird music playing in the background. And it's just not what you're expecting. And like I said, that then completely juxtaposes with the fact it then cuts to snow. 
and darkness and it's just, oh, it's just incredible but like i said the, the the sun especially in the painting just lives with me <laughs> yeah yeah agree it's um it's something that, that's the first midsummer moment that stuck with me uh, what 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 about you what's on what's on your uh, midsummery list <laughs> So for me, I guess should, should we should we be doing this whole episode in Swedish? I think um, we'll get we'll get a dub. I think fair enough. So we'll sort we'll sort out. I'll leave that to you to 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 lead. Yeah, I think actually when I did I did the ancestry DNA thing a while ago. I'm fairly sure I've got something like it's a good like in the teens percentage of of Nordic in me. Uh, for a brief moment, I thought you were going to say. Uh... I did that uh, the DNA thing, and it said I could speak Swedish. <laughs> it's like okay, you should be able to speak Swedish, Graham. Why are you not speaking Swedish? So f- first on your list, first on my regale, list, regale me with midsummery culty goodness. So first on my list is a moment that I've probably spoken about more than any other on the podcast. Um, I think I spoke about it when we did the Oscars episode. I've definitely referred to it in a few other instances, but it's Florence Pugh as Danny, and it is her portrayal of just i would say grief it is danny's grief but it feels even more than that it's the most it's it's, primal yeah it's so visceral like i don't i'm hopefully like obviously the the scene that leads up to it as you mentioned earlier is the murder suicide of her younger sister who is obviously going through a lot lot of depression she's messaging all this cryptic stuff to danny Anyway, it turns out that she kills herself by running the fumes from the car, but she also kills Danny's parents as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's like you mentioned, it's like the entirety of Danny's family unit has gone. The, the scene is in... Just as it slowly pans throughout the house. I was going to say, right? it takes a good three, four minutes to reveal yeah. what's going on. And you know, with five minutes minimum before the reveal, you know what's happened. Yeah, and then you get the shot of the fireman going into her, right? Yeah. And she's on the floor with it, like, gaffer tapes oh. over her mouth. Yeah, I, 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 did, I didn't want to mention that because I was worried you were going to cover it. But yeah, so that, the scene of the fireman um, turning the keys off in the car yeah, to the reveal of the sister's body is between two and a half and three minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's... It's crazy because, like you say, you kind of know what's coming, but it's still sure. And again, like you mentioned, in true Ariasta fashion, when you do see her, it lingers. <laughs> the camera but again, lingers. But it's there. not. It, it's not gory. No, no, not at all. But other directors, it would have been flash and that. That's it. Yeah, it would be very. They would have done that whole scene in ten seconds. And. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna pretend like I've been through anything close to that. But I have had moments in my life where I have had that kind of breakdown, utter sadness. Like it's you are inconsolable. That that FA Cup final. <laughs> it's definitely up there. Actually, you say that. And this is a weird segue to having a film about. We um, we deal with things with humor. <laughs> but um, 
that was even though we were getting absolutely pissed on by Man City, the atmosphere in the Watford end was just still a party atmosphere. We were just happy to be there. And that 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 that's why you're not susceptible to cults. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I like I'm sure and I'm sure everyone's had moments like this, right, in their life where it is like you are inconsolable for a period of time, something awful has happened. And I could I don't think I could describe that feeling. But I could point you to this film and say that that is that's what that feels like because the way that I I just cannot get my head round how well Florence Pugh acts this like it is as if this has happened to her own family yeah because it's not it's just outpouring yeah. it's not quite it's not crying it's not screaming it's both but neither which that's really wanky but you know what i mean <laughs> it's just it's like it's a primal scream like it barely sounds human in places but like you said but you're watching it it's like yeah i i can kind of get that yeah although were you just searching the band primal screams yeah i was just joking I was, about primal screams just gonna, yep. i was just finding a <laughs> see just finding a song title I, <laughs> I, I, I I know you too well. I'll keep the I'll keep the tapping noise uh, typing noises in there so please, people know what we're, what we're talking about. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. something about band. something Gross. about rocks. Um, yeah. get, but... get your rocks off. <laughs> but there's but there's also that, and that is the instant when you get that bit of bad news, like the the instant that your whole world is is crushing in itself, and I think she portrays that so well but even after that right even when we see her like where she's clearly been sleeping all day for example where she's really like meek and quite quiet she's kind of on edge really vulnerable and she's kind of just going along with whatever christian wants to do right like there's the whole bit with the party and like she's just like oh yeah like oh i'll come along with you don't worry blah blah and yeah, I think that, again, it's not just the initial reaction, but the whole, like... And shout-out to a podcast that's much more successful than us and does not need a shout-out, but Griefcast um, with Carrie Adloyd is a podcast that is incredible and did a lot for me. But Carrie Adloyd in that talks often about how grief is, like... Grief isn't something you can easily define. Grief isn't something that hits you in the same way one day to the next. It it's 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 awful it's always there it will hit you big it will hit you small and it'll have a lot of different impacts on you and taking that into the context of this film i think it's it's really well portrayed because she does have these like moments of obviously sadness there's like the panic attack bit where it goes from her plane uh, from her room into the plane and stuff like that but yeah i just think it's it's so well done and speaking of christian you mentioned him at the top of the show of the show so that's the thing we're saying now throughout this in, 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 the, in the pre in the prelude you mentioned christian but throughout all of this we properly see how little of a shit he gives about danny like he doesn't tell her about going to sweden he's pla- she's clearly been like sleeping all day oh, and then gaslights her yeah saying that um he kind of told her and you know i maybe i was yeah. thinking about going so, but yeah it works the conversation i think this is where i wrote manipulative come works yeah. the conversation so she then apologizes to him yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. That's not how that's going to work. No. But yeah, she's clearly been like asleep all day. She's like in the 
throes of grief and oh. he's clearly planning to leave her at home and go to a party. Like, it... Oh. Yes, I know. He's a dick, isn't he? <laughs> um, but he does, he, he does that annoying thing which dicks often do, where he, he always does the right thing. Yeah. But he goes out of his way to show how much effort it took to do. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without and a doubt. I loathe when people do that. It's like, just, just don't, just be selfless a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But also yeah. you can't, you're not truly being selfless if you're making, if you're making a point out of how great you are in doing yeah. it. But similar to the, like, the opening artwork, this kind of whole opening grief sequence, I think, tees up of so much, again, of what's to come oh. in the movie, right? Danny needing to find her way on her own, take control of her grief, cut Christian out of her life, find acceptance, find confidence again. And whilst obviously the key part of Midsummer is the festival and all the things that go on there, I think it's so important that we have this piece at the beginning to have the context in for Danny's arc, right? And again, going back to what we said earlier, like about it being like a horror movie adjacent, like it is a horror movie. It's all about all of the things that happen in Sweden with the Haga at the festival. But actually, I would say the more important thing here is the thread yeah. of Danny's story arc throughout. And also, I guess, if you didn't have this, you didn't have this context, and what happens at the end of the movie, you'd arguably say, well, actually, maybe Danny's the villain, right? Because of well, that's, where she gets that's... to. Yeah, so apparently the film was brought to Ari Aster as just like a Swedish slasher film. Right, okay. Like he decided to rewrite it because that would have been shit. But he'd just gone through a really bad breakup. Yep. So centred the thought to centre the film on this kind of deteriorating and toxic relationship. Because in the, in the theatrical cut, they, they don't even kiss. No. Uh, there, there's always a distance between them. And it is just, he doesn't want to be the one to break up with her because he's a prick. And she doesn't want to break up with him because she doesn't feel like she has She's got nothing anybody left. else. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I just think this is such a, it's, it's such a, it's such an important part to the entirety of the film, but just in and of itself, that, that portrayal of, of, grief and loss that Danny is going through is I mean I've not seen anything like it in cinema I think it's unsurpassed and as I said previously Florence Pugh deserved an Oscar for this performance oh god yeah that was the I, I always thought she was going to be a big deal but that that opening five minutes of the film was like oh no no she's not she's a superstar yeah, yeah. she's gonna be she is gonna be huge yeah so yeah that's that's my first piece that stuck with me. And now I'm going to tend to the dickhead dog because he is um, being a dickhead. Re- rename him. Rename him Christian. <laughs> Moving on from the uh, happy subject of grief and uh, murder-suicide that takes out somebody's whole family and on to the more uplifting story of ritual senicide. <laughs> so... I am, of course, talking for this moment that stuck with me is the the Atesh Stupa scene, which is more commonly known as, I believe, Graham? Uh, Base jumping up parachutes. There we go. So this is referred to by a lot of people as the quote-unquote goriest scene in Midsummer. So 
The Attish Stupa is, so it dates back to Nordic prehistory. Apparently, researchers also seem to be torn, with the minority saying it's a thing and the majority saying, yeah, this never happened. The idea is that the elderly threw themselves off of cliffs when they were no longer able to support themselves or assist in the household. There is a brilliant sketch about it on the series Norseman. It's <laughs> fucking hilarious. It comes from, the idea comes from an old Icelandic saga called Gortrek's Saga. So, like I said, it, it's a bit up in the air whether this is something that hey. happened, but it definitely happens in the Horga in midsummer. So, basically, they're, they're at this feast. Actually, no. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Just to really hammer home. Hey. And because I'm annoyed at him now, because <laughs> I'm annoyed at him now, Graham, I'm going to refer to him as Cheedy. So, <laughs> the night before, when Pella is talking about their plans, he mentions there's going to be this Atishtupa, and Cheedy, being the diligent phd researcher he is sits up in his bed a bit and says oh because uh, they all sleep in the communal barn thing not because they were sleeping together sits up in his bed and says oh really they're going to do that so he knew what was coming yep yeah, yeah. he knew what was coming and he didn't think to flag to the person currently going through severe psychological trauma around death that maybe she shouldn't come because chidi is a self-centered piece of shit so the idea in this community is that once you reach 72 years of old... Uh, years of old? <laughs> years of old. Once you re reach 72 years of age, you get a nice feast, you get nice fancy, like, bluey-grey robes, and then you get carried to the top of this cliff on your fancy little blue chair and your, your swanky feast. You cut your hand, you smear it on a runestone at the top of this cliff... And then you jump off the top of it and you smash into a big rock at the bottom. Um, it's basically like suicide pride rock. So imagine the beginning of The Lion King, but they drop Simba instead. <laughs> Which would have been for a very different and interesting film. In the film, Midsummer, not Lion King, it's, it's really jarring because it's, like we've said, we've mentioned Brilliant Sunlight before, but... This scene is basically devoid of any colour. Like, yeah. it is so bright. And the cliff faces are all white and the ground is white that everything, everything seems really kind of just brightness. And it's, yeah, it's just very jarring from how colourful the commune it was. So that kind of knocks you back a little bit. The music's building, which is then increasing the tension. And... What else is increasing the tension is you, along with some of the characters, you know what's going to happen. Like, I think Danny clocks to it just before it happens as well. And everyone reacts in a different way. So the Brits, power to them, are screaming and shouting and saying how fucked up this is. Yep. Cheedy is basically jacking himself off over it. <laughs> Christian is throwing up and Danny is basically completely numb. So you cut to her and it's very similar to the get out kind of hypnosis scene. Like the, the sound just kind of drains away. But again, Chidi should have said something, but he didn't because all he cares about is his PhD again. And it's the, the whole scene, like I said, it's so masterfully done in terms of tension building. 
And that's before we get to the actual jump. As we've said, Ariasta doesn't cut away from things. So the first one to jump is this old woman. She smashes face first into this rock and gets what can only be described as a flappy face. <laughs> the the interesting thing with these shots as well, similar to how you were talking about like the full shots of people, you get the full shot of the clip, so you see yeah. sort of real time the drop as well. And the thud. Like cuz again, this is a moment I I seem to remember where like there's kind of no noise, everyone's silent, and then you just hear the on the rock. Yeah, but but that's that's the thing. So the, the, the first one, you're seeing it from kind of Danny's point of view. Yeah. So you see this woman step to the edge and then you're, you follow her down. But like I kind of mentioned earlier, you hear the thud, but it's not a over-the-top caricature of a thud. It's closer to like a pop. Yeah. Like, because obviously the characters are quite far back when they're watching this, that's what they would hear. And it's just done very realistically. And you then view the crowd with... The foreground just being this woman smashed in face. And like I said, there are gorier films and there are gorier things in films than that. But the fact that he lingers on it for as long as he does is what's disconcerting. Because again, like I said, it's usually it would be like jump, loud smashing noise, cut to reactions, face back away from that. Like it would be a have to pause it kind of thing. The next person... To come up to the edge, which everyone knows, you know, what's going to go down. Let me rephrase. And Chidi's had it confirmed that this is what has happening. <laughs> it's then an old man who jumps. And that's the one where you see it from a lot further back. Yeah. And you see the top of the cliff and the bottom. And you just see, doesn't pan away. Camera doesn't move. You just see him jump and smash into the floor. Old man, though, screwed things up a bit. Lands on his legs. So he's... I was about to say alive and kicking. He's alive. <laughs> what then happens is his family, I assume it's family, that was my interpretation of it anyway, his loved ones, get given a massive hammer and they walk over and very lovingly smash his face in with the hammer and then give it to another family member who get another blow in and another family member who get another blow in. Yeah, there's... It's difficult to watch. There's definitely at least one too many blows. Like... After the second one, it's like, you probably don't need a third one. Yeah, it was definitely a rich... There was a lot less effort put into the last one. I think it was just so you can say, you know, you you did your part. (laughs) Do you you remember that time we all all smashed Grandpa's face in? Oh, no, I didn't get to do it. You'd already already taken him out in the first two. Oh, yeah, no, I wanted to, but no one gave me the fucking hammer. (laughs) It's so difficult to watch, and... What is then quite interesting, again, from the, the whole the thing we were talking about before of the, the outsiders are the cunts. The cult seemed to be not nice, but, you know, a lot more friendly than other people. Is then They then explain what's happening and saying, like, oh, it's an, it's an honour for them to do this. No one's forced them to do it. It's a big part of our culture. And they, yeah, they try to explain it. And the, the problem is by that part of the film because you're so kind of disorientated that your your main characters are all assholes and the traditional bad guys in a film like this all seem to be nice you don't know how to interpret what's happening but there, there's also a part of that right that you kind of like with any 
thing that's not your culture. There's an element of like, I know this is in the extreme, but like there are parts of other cultures that make people feel uncomfortable, but the right yeah. thing to do is to, you know, respect cultures, right? And, you know, people, not everyone's the same. They weren't thrown off the cliff. No. They were carried to the top and jumped themselves. You can lead a harger to the edge of a cliff, but you can't make them jump off. Exactly. That's the dream. But so what was quite interesting in looking into this is that 72 isn't a random number. So the entire commune revolves around the number nine. Yeah, it's the seasons, right? So the ritual lasts for nine days. There are nine sacrifices. Even kind of the the life or the cycle of life that the Horger people have is in kind of multiples of nine. So 18 is the end of childhood. Youth lasts up to 36. Maturity is 54. 72 is the age you jump off the cliff, obviously. The feast itself is celebrated every 90 years. And the importance seems to be that nine is like, it's a big kind of Nordic thing. So Odin was hung up upside down for nine days in Yggdrasil. Uh, the the tree of the world in order to bring kind of knowledge to people. Ah, uh, see, I thought that they just really liked that 2009 film with Daniel Day Lewis in it. Yeah, no, big big fans. <laughs> what, what? Which one was that? Nine. I am aware. <laughs> what, what? That wasn't the, the the little sack people one, was it? No, but that came out at the same time, and that was nine as the number. Ah, uh, okay. There was nine as written out which is like a kind of like a musically kind of thing it's all oh okay based in italy whereas nine i think it did come out the same yeah they both came out in 2009 which is really confusing well that's obviously because of odin yeah yeah the attic trooper is for want of a better word better and more imaginative word is hugely fucked up the reason it kind of, I think, sticks with you as much as it did is obviously the lazy answer of it is super gory. It's filmed in such a way that you see everything which then burns itself into your retinas and won't leave. But also it has an even bigger impact because arguably an hour into the film, this is the first out-and-out horror moment. Yeah. Like, you, you do have the, the, the murder-suicide at the beginning, which is horrific, but you wouldn't necessarily call it a, a horror moment right? well no because that could happen like in a in a drama yeah. right that could be the catalyst for the beginning of someone's journey or whatever it might be exactly so this is the first point that even an iota of tension is released and it's an hour into the film and that really sticks with you because it's it's so weird because usually in a film in a horror movie, if you have build up for an hour and then this moment happens, that's when it's like, right, shit's getting real now, guys. And then shit hits the fan for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. But here it goes straight back to tension building. Like, it, it doesn't quite dial it back down to one, but it, it goes, it just slowly starts ramping up again. Yeah, it's like um, it's like that scene in Friends where Monica's going through the erogenous zones and, you know, it takes it up to seven, but then it's back down yeah. to four. Seven. <laughs> and obviously Odin is, is number nine. <laughs> Odin is the ninth erogenous so Yeah, Odin is the ninth erogenous so You just have to, you know, stroke his uh, raven. Ravens. 
yeah, you need to get the Bifrost sorted out. It, it, it all gets very ends up very expensive. <laughs> so yeah, for me, this it, it, it does sound like the lazy answer because it, it, it's so visceral and both out of nowhere, but you also see it coming. Yeah, and I just can't stop thinking about it. The cinematic equivalent of an RKO. Yeah, it's off the top of the cliff, <laughs> which is a bit more high-flying than an RKO, but we'll take it. So the Attish Stupa, which I think is what a lot of people, when they think of Midsummer, think of. It's it's one of the more, I guess, iconic scenes, right? It's, or even yeah. it's one of the scenes that maybe people who haven't seen the film have maybe... Yeah. Or, or at least the, the blood on the, the, the rune stone at the top. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Atish Super flying in at number one. And uh, and and for your 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 next choice. So from one ritual that's highly debated of its historic authenticity to another. So I'm skipping a bit further ahead in the movie here, and I want to talk about the. There's no other way to say it, but the Blood Eagle. Uh, there's no other way to say it because that's its name. It is. We obviously spoke about the brutality that is seen during all of the cliff diving, etc. But I'd say this is, again, it's kind of one of the more brutal scenes in the film, but it's not, you don't see anything happen. And actually, you're also viewing but that's it. the thing. So, so nine, nine people die. Yeah. How many do you actually see? Um, Three? Four, four slash five. Because, so you've got there. Yeah, bear. But then there's two Haga in there. One yeah. of them's alive. One of them's sedated. And then you've got the two base jumpers. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. Which still, but out of the out of the main group of friends, out of the main group of friends, you see one. It's one. Yeah. Which for a horror movie, given horror movies, usually, uh, well, thirty people died. It was crazy. Like a, a lot of the action of this film happens off screen. Yeah, well, also, you know, bearing in mind that the people that, like, have any reaction to themselves dying is also one, right? Because there's the one guy who's, who is very aware that he's about to be burned alive and starts screaming. But two of the others in the temple are sedated. The two that jump off the cliff were quite happy to do so. So actually, like, a person kind of suffering, I guess. I believe the phrase you're looking for is murdered. <laughs> <laughs> well no because the others are murdered but they're just like they because they're sedated like christian's sedated within the bear the other guy's sedated like yeah they it, whilst obviously what's happening to them is horrific it's not like a um you don't feel the kind of suffering as such yeah okay but the blood eagle though but the blood eagle so the blood eagle so christian um stumbles across this in i guess what it's like in a shed it's a chicken. It's a chicken coop. Isn't yeah, it's it? a chicken coop. Yeah. Was it a, a yeah chicken coop or greenhouse or something? I think it's a chicken coop. I think you're right there. You know, yes. you should never, you should never keep an eagle in a chicken coop. Old, old Swedish proverb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's got sunflowers for eyes. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. So Christian stumbles across this after he's after. I'm pretty sure it's after he leaves the whaling sexy times. Uh, so he's he's running naked from a sex whale fest. Yep. And yeah, he stumbles upon this. And again, like it is clearly one of the more gory things that you see in the film, but it's also kind of weirdly, like you say, with like the flowers in the eyes and also how decadently it's been done. And like with precision, it's kind of presented in like this 
I don't want to say beautiful way because that sounds really messed up, yeah. but it's kind. Of, it's. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So assuming we we do have some, uh, and again, guys, we appreciate you, but we may have some people who did ignore the spoiler klaxon and thought, "Fuck it, I'm not going to watch Midsummer. I want to hear what's what's so great about it." Um, maybe maybe paint paint me a paint me a, a bloody word picture. What 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 is a blood eagle? So. What is the blood eagle? So the blood eagle is a ritual method of execution. It is detailed in late skaldic poetry. So there's a couple of instances where it's mentioned in, it's just called the sagas. I don't know if they're the same sagas that you, you spoke about earlier. Uh, no, different different sagas. Okay. In the instances where it's mentioned in, in these writings, the victims are placed in a prone position. Their ribs are severed from their spine. Their lungs are pulled out through the openings to create a pair of wings, and then they're they're kind of displayed outside the body. Um, so yeah, essentially your lungs become your wings, hence the term blood eagle. Uh, happens uh, quite graphically in Vikings. Oh, nice. Yeah, but yeah, and as you mentioned, like there's there's a there's a debate whether this is whether it was a like a literary invention to kind of just you know, a really gory thing to write in stories, or if this was... Uh, well, it, it was on Vikings, so I don't think Vikings is fake. It's basically a documentary, right? Basically a documentary without yeah. talking heads, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it would be great if they interspersed Vikings with talking heads. <laughs> so we decided to do the Blood Eagle on him, and it was <laughs> it was a bit crazy. And then Floki, Floki was all like, hey, why do we have to do this? And I was like, hey... Blood eagles. Do you have the sunflowers for the eyes? It, well, that's the worst thing when you forget the sunflowers. So one thing that's depicted in the film is that Simon... So Simon is the British guy who is um, has been blood eagled, if we can use it. I believe, I believe that's, I believe that's, that's the, the right term. verbiage, right? And in the film, you kind of see that he's still alive throughout all of this as well. Now, I was reading into it and there's a few debates about the likelihood of that being possible, lungs operating. I, I, I took that scene the first time I watched it to be kind of like what you said earlier on. He's tripping on sex smoke. Yeah. Is he alive or is it the distortion of what he's viewing stuff? Like, how do you view it? Yeah, so, well, these, these are the two arguments that, that people say because like, the idea if he's alive is that lungs aren't made to operate outside the body. You need the negative pressure of a rib cage and all that kind of thing to for lungs to work so yeah, a lot of people think exactly that that because he's had sex smoke and also sex smoke just makes me think of the song uh the mouse rat song sex hair and i just want to sing sex smoke you got it from me uh but anyway the, the, I, I was de- sex smoke to me has to be sung to the tune of sex bomb <laughs> sex smoke sex smoke you're my sex smoke it just or makes you know sense. what makes more sense is maybe sex smoke is just the um the natural consequence of one's sex being on fire. Ah, that does make well, you know, there's no sex smoke without sex fire. <laughs> it's I mean, let, let's one last one. Sex smoke is obviously a funk band from the seventies. <laughs> like But so as I say, yeah, this is so it to your answer to your question, yeah, I do think it probably is the the hallucinogens that are having this and the the editing is very clever. But as I say, it's Simon He's been subjected to this fate, and this is the first time I really think that it kind of paints the Haga. 
um, in a more kind of terrifying light than you first kind of see throughout yeah. the film. And for me, that's that's not necessarily the fact that they did the the ritual sacrifice because we've obviously seen that that's you know that's their jam. But his transgressions are not really this on par with the other outsiders, right? A lot of the other outsiders have done things that okay, maybe they don't warrant. Uh, their fates but you can kind of understand the transgressions and how they got there everyone everyone else was put into a position where they could make the wrong choice yeah so chidi was given all of the materials needed for him to try and sneak into this place and steal pictures of a book yeah and that's where he got killed by a guy who I think was Donald Ducking but I'm not sure wearing the face of oh. uh, Will Poulter <laughs> I 100% thought you meant Donald Ducking, as that was the name of the actor, <laughs> like Donald oh. Ducking. But I get what you I, mean. I was, I was worried you took it to be like Cockney rhyming slang or something. <laughs> um, yeah, he got he got head bashed in there. Um, yeah, Christian obviously got. You know, you know which character it was that did that, right? It was um, the one who was annoyed that he'd pissed on the trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I found out today. <laughs> I was never. I always thought it was uh, for some reason. I always thought it was the Oracle. I did as well. I hundred percent. I hundred percent did as well. But yeah, it just feels like his. Like Simon clearly gets very animated at the um, the base jumping ritual, and he's the like you mentioned. He's the first one to kind of call it out, say this is really fucked up and stuff. But outside of that, it doesn't feel like he necessarily deserved. Like everyone else is clearly very flawed. And maybe we just don't see his flaws and what leads to his his ultimate fate. Those those two were the only ones that felt like they had a bit of self preservation to them. Yeah, as in the cult killed them because otherwise they would have gone and told people about their cliff diving experience. Yeah, I I think so. And also like for him to suffer probably arguably one of the worst fates of, I mean Christian gets it pretty bad as well, but. Actually, so does Will Will Porter get skinned alive? There's, but it's still it's it's you know, I I wouldn't want to be blood eagled. <laughs> no, that's a yeah. I'm not I'm not going to ask the obvious question that that led up to. But yeah, I wouldn't want to be blood eagled. I also wouldn't want to be burnt alive in a bear costume or skinned alive. No, as as if if blood eagles were real, this isn't going to be the first time this has been said. But the blood eagle did feel a bit overboard. <laughs> <laughs> but also, there's there's a real irony in it, right? Because one of the things, like obviously, Christian is a dick in how he's treating Danny, but he also is a real dick in how he treats Chidi's character because he's kind of muscle. He's like wants to do the same paper, right? And he's he's kind of gets a bit competitive with him trying to get the scoop on stuff blah blah um but there's a certain irony in the fact that he wanted like the the big scoops from you know and the insights into this culture he stumbled across this ritual sacrifice in the form of a bloody <laughs> yeah good point which would be an amazing thing to be able to write about just unfortunately for him he gets knocked out and stuffed inside a bear. Yeah, they kind of they green mist him, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Now another another wrestling reference then. For people who don't actively watch wrestling, we make a lot of wrestling references. I mean, I yeah, I was gonna say I I don't 
watch wrestling at all. <laughs> I haven't watched it since like um one second, my dog's ripping up the sofa. Bowie No. So yeah, it, it was I just found it funny and it kind of stuck with me on the rewatch that um the idea that Christian would have killed for this, like that kind of quality to put into his paper of like a ritual that you know, arguably assuming that Midsummer takes place finding finding evidence that it happened would have been huge yeah exactly yeah. right for something that people are debating is is whether it's just a, a thing in old writings so yeah there's there's definitely a certain irony there and also good because fuck christian <laughs> i hate christian more than i hate benny good to, we're on the same page for something there <laughs> I, I i too hate christian a lot more than i hate benny yeah so yeah blood eagles also str- strongly recommend vikings as an aside great show dips a bit in the middle but not enough that it's a you gotta get through it thing it's still entertaining but it it quality definitely improves not enough so it's uh is it oxide and neutrino that did gotta get through this i don't know i just know that that was like the one lyric from the song <laughs> oh yeah that was the only lyric from the song you gotta right get through there this with gotta get what, through what this. was the song called uh, uh wait oh shit no i can't say that because that's not actually the title of the song anyway it's like uh, remember uh, right here Right now. <laughs> right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right here. Yeah, we could keep this going for a while. We're both we're both stubborn in the ways we like being funny. <laughs> but yeah, again, Blood Eagles. Absolutely horrific and definitely is one of those images that kind of sticks with you i think it's up there with the creepy sun right and that's the the image of the sun not the the creepy oracle sun right so on on to my uh my 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 final my final choice for our moments that stuck with us and we are of course going to be talking about what i will like to refer to as the communal sex whaling party so this is kind of the combination of two scenes because this is our podcast and I can do what I want. So both scenes happen kind of in parallel to each other. So the first part we're going to be talking about is the sex whaling party. So Christian gets drugged yep. and led away to a fertility ritual. Um, the idea is that because it's kind of covered in a ch- chidi, I think, asks them early on about incest because obviously they're they're a very small Mm. collective what happens with that side of things and the idea is that they bring in outside blood to make sure things are diluted it's it's a weird i don't know the terminology to talk about with copulation in a small cult but anyways reverse eugenics yeah christian is this outside party who is basically a sperm donor. They take him into a, to, to, to use the term uh, Graham coined earlier, the pre-sex room, <laughs> where they have a very quasi-legal conversation with him. Yeah. About, you've been selected, you're very compatible, like, I think they talk about, like, horoscopes or something like that. Yeah, there's there's something in there that's... Like there's there's some, some level of compatibility between this cult member and his little swimmers. So, they... They lead him into what can only be described as a sex room. In the attic above the sex room is the Oracle, who is the inbred one. Because apparently being inbred means you aren't clouded 
your mind's not clouded, which means Oracle. Yeah. There is no spoon. There is. There was never a spoon. <laughs> yeah, it all gets a bit, bit weird. Still, not sure why he has to be above all of this happening. So, the cult members lying on what can only be described as like the weirdest wedding centerpiece. <laughs> So it's just like all of these flowers in the middle of the room, which, you know, might sound romantic, but she's also surrounded by a lot of old naked women. These old naked women women are all singing songs. They start mimicking the noises. So the, the cult member, I believe, is called Maya. They start mimicking the noises she's making. At one point, one of them get behind Christian and just kind of pushes butt. So they're singing, swaying and puppeteering everything that's going on and then you get what can only be described as sex echoes yeah of them copying the noises she's making and being there for her there's a bit where i feel like it's her mum like reaches out and holds her hand and starts singing really close to her while christian's face is right next to hers yeah i also the weird thing with all of this is is i can like that noise that they're all making i it's it's so vividly implanted in my brain you 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 have we have we have referred to it relatively consistently on the podcast as yeah sex whales yeah it does sound a bit like whale song but yeah it's that obviously sticks with you because i i do not have the grasp of the english language that is good enough to accurately convey how fucking weird that is. Like, given the weird shit that's happened previously, like, we've just had a scene which I was very close to picking, which is, like, the the Maypole dance-off. Florence Pugh's character gets uh, dressed up with all of the other kind of girls from the commune. They, <laughs> they're tripping balls off this, like, psychedelic tea, and they basically do this dance around the Maypole where it's basically like the royal rumble it's another wrestling reference for people who don't watch wrestling who it's the last person standing becomes the may queen and it's very psychedelic it's all very very weird with how it's happening it's like oh i don't think this film could get any weirder you know and then you cut to the sex barn yeah also just as an aside not the weirdest not the weirdest like take on sex in an Ari Aster film, and I'm not talking about Midsummer. I, I haven't seen the short yet, but feel free to ruin it on account of the podcast. So there is uh, a short that Ari Aster did for, I think, his uh, degree uh, called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. It is probably single-handedly one of the most messed up things I've ever seen. I feel like it's it's you can watch it in its entirety on YouTube. Um, we can probably just stick a link to it in. It's about 25 yeah. minutes, 30 minutes long. It's a short. But yeah, if you think like the approach to sex in Midsummer is a bit out there, give give 30 minutes to the weird thing or the strange thing about the Johnsons because I mean, yikes. Yeah, I'll, I will I will for want of a better word, give it a go. <laughs> so while all of this sex wailing is happening, and puppeteering and general weirdness um and it's from it's from that scene once he's uh finished up that's then when he runs off and discovers that the blood eagle yeah but while he's mid-act this is where danny finds him so 
she arrives back from her kind of May Queen procession where she's gone round and like blessed the crops basically and heard this noise coming from the barn. So in like the weirdest episode of Through the Keyhole, <laughs> she she looks through the keyhole and obviously sees what's happening and just has a full blown panic attack out in the open. And speaking of kind of things building, like this has also been building for the entire film. So from the outset so before even she finds out what's happened with her sister and her parents she knows something's wrong and she hesitates in calling christian yeah every time she's been upset or crying she has excused herself from the room and hidden to go off and cry herself and this is the first time she's just let it out kind of quote unquote in public and it's also the first time she's had people rush to her so she has a full-blown panic attack and all the girls and women she's with rush to her hold her whisk her away to safety back to kind of the the communal halls they live in and they have again what i think is one of the other kind of iconic scenes from midsummer where kind of grief 2.0 yeah so it's quite similar to the first scene but this time she has someone there because in the first scene, you've kind of got Christian's holding her, but he doesn't seem to really... He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He's just sitting there while she's kind of screaming. Here, the cult, which is their thing, are copying the sound she's making and the action she's going through. And it's... For something that's kind of so jarring, it's obviously really kind of cathartic. Mm. Because it's the first time she's really been able to start processing anything that's happening it's the first time she's had people there there's a there's a line earlier in the film where pella talks about how does she feel held Mm -hmm. and this is the first time she's really held and the support's there because and i cannot stress this enough every single other person in this film is a cunt (laughs) and it's yeah it's the first time she's been She's had people around there who are willing to share in her grief rather than push her to keep it to herself. And that's why it sticks with you because it is so... I don't want to say weird again. It is... It's finding it's finding that love and support in the most unlikely of circumstances. Yeah, exactly. And But it, it, as a... Again, kind of from what I was talking about earlier about how you're trained to watch films, these are the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. So in being, fuck this podcast going for another fucking hour. In, in understanding, like you said, that not to go too tropey, Danny has gone a bit Vin Diesel here, and she's found her family. Right? <laughs> Does that mean we're getting nine of these? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> one of them's going to be in space. <laughs> too midsummer, too furious, <laughs> or too fast, too midsummer. Which way round would you do it? Too mid, too summer. Two mid two summer, yeah, yeah. Two mid two summer in space. Yeah, so she's found her family, and you're 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 happy for her because she it finally appears. You know, she's got this support around her. But in being happy for her, are you condoning what the cult has done? Do you get what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, there, there's obviously a very deep and detailed conversation to have about that, but it's midnight. Um, She's found her people, but should they be her people, right? Yeah, but like, 
it's such a fine line between understanding and condoning that it, again it's because the film's always kind of got you from the outset it's knocked you off balance you just don't know how to process what's happening which is why i think we sat in silence after watching the film mm. because this, this this should be her friends like any other film it would be her friends have found her right but this would be like something horrible happening and fucking mike myers or jason has turned up and just got you know what do you want to talk about it let's talk about it let's go let's go go sit by the lake and we'll just talk through this yeah yeah have you got an axe to grind nice um obviously it was a machete though yeah I know, um, but you know I'm, I'm 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 taking artistic license i liked it that's the important thing but that's for me is why it stuck is because it, it <laughs> for the for the for the sex wailing part of the scene it's it's just so weird and that sound is never going to leave my brain like you said and for the danny part it it's so you just don't know how to interpret it and because there's so many ways to interpret it i have been thinking about it since i watched it for the first time <laughs> and we've all like like you said kind of we we've we've all gone through moments of grief where share, like I, I, people process things in different ways but at some point with grief there there is a part where you have to kind of process and share yeah, if if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna move through it, it needs yeah. Yeah, and for 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 everybody again, if if people are going through things, that point is different for everyone. I, I've had some moments where I've got to that stage immediately. I'm still going through a stage now where I'm not quite there yet, but it happens for everyone. And 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 seeing this happen to her, it, it's just it, it's beautiful would be the wrong word, but it, it it's. Again, it's impossible to describe because you still don't know how to interpret what's happening. Yeah, yeah, because there, there's also elements, I suppose, of like, you know, if you if you're thinking about of like symbolism and stuff in yeah. in a film, like there are times where people will maybe seek solace in the wrong places in times like this in their lives, right? So like, yeah. and that could be anything. That could be the wrong people. It could be like in in the comfort of substances or whatever it might be, but that's another crutch that you have in a in a, a time of grief is that you if you can get the support even if it's the wrong support you're going to take the support right and again that's kind of what's happening here but is that's that 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 also then buys into things like you know this is why people are drawn to cults yep like you know pe- people aren't there's a lot of stupid people out there but people aren't like inherently stupid like there is there is a reason people are drawn to cults and communes and kind of the lifestyle that is and this kind of i i think is a great insight into it but like i was saying because you can understand i i'm I'm about to go far too deep on this because you can understand why she's accepting this help from people have we also been brainwashed by the cult (laughs) right that's the kind of level we're playing on. That that's where my brain still is, and I don't have an answer. And that's why it's still stuck with me. Is because I am still working through everything that this scene means, and that's why this film is a fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I'm also very aware we are very slowly encroaching on territory from your next section. So should we just music and move on? Yeah, why not? Let's music and move on. <laughs> We went from so the first the first thing that we spoke about in these in these moments that stuck with us was obviously the opening scene 
those opening 20 seconds, the image on the screen. Um, and the last thing I'm going to talk about now is the very last scene. Um, actually, there's a... Um, because, because we should respect the credits. We should respect the credits, yeah, yeah. Which which are... Um, they don't scroll. No. They're done as long, continuous takes with a load of stuff happening in front of you. Yeah. So many levels. And there's... Oh, fuck. I forget. There's a really cool Twitter account that I forget what it's called, but it is basically like the the first... It shows the first and last shots of movies side by side. I, I have a feeling this is just going to be called like first and last shot. I think it probably is something like that. Oh, it is I, future Ian. I'm going to keep this one short because this podcast is already over two hours long. So the Twitter account Graham is referring to here is first final frame. It's well worth checking out. Now back to the guys. Anyway, there's there's a Twitter account that does this, but it, it works really well in this scenario because this last shot, I think, is is so perfectly done. And we'll talk about the, the build-up to it, but the, the shot itself at the end is full screen. It's focusing in on Danny. Um, she's in her full May Queen regalia, and um, she's watching something horrific happen in front of her. And similar to what we were saying just now with the whole like finding finding solace in the wrong kind of places and stuff, you see her smile arguably for the first time in the film. I think probably the first time in the film that she smiles. She there are there are moments, especially during like the May dance. Yeah, where okay. she she seems to catch herself getting into the moment, but then snaps back out of it. Yeah. But this is definitely the first time where it feels like this could be... It feels like it's a, it's a step. Yeah. So she's... And I was going to pick the whole kind of burning ritual at the end as my as my piece here. But I think the the moment that truly sticks is that last shot. But So so you've got the all of the sacrifices. You've got Christian being stuffed inside a bear and put inside the temple to be burned. Oh, we can finally have the discussion. Go on. So I'm assuming you were talking earlier, the thing that suddenly made sense was, fuck, what's her name? The British girl. Um, I can't remember. Simon's other half. Uh, Connie. Connie, yeah. So Connie is the, uh, so Blood Eagle's other half, goes missing, and it looks like she's been drowned, mm. which seemed to kind of come out of nowhere. But then on the director's cut, there is a ritual that happens in a lake. Yeah. And clearly they'd recreated that with her, but not stopped at the last minute yeah yeah exactly that yeah and you're right it gives yeah it gives that additional yeah. additional context but yeah so we have the whole the whole ritual that ends the festival they've built that you, you see it throughout the film but they've built the big wonderful yellow pyramid that's imposing on the the site that they're staying on and there are a number of people who are sacrificed in this burning ritual and there is a point in this where Danny gets to choose whether or not Christian is one of those people, and she decides that, yay, fuck it is. Um, <laughs> so prior to this, after discovering the Blood Eagle, uh, Christian gets knocked out and later finds himself stuffed inside the innards of a, gris- a grizzly bear, brown bear, one of the two. Bear. 
a bear. So he's sat in the middle of this temple. There's a number of other people in there. A few of them are already dead. There's Ingmar, I think, is one of them, who is the guy who bought the British people. There's another one. I think, actually, it's the guy who got offended by the by the pissing on the tree is in there as well. I believe it's, it's Urz, yeah. which is the guy who yeah got annoyed and killed Warmark's War face. Yeah, Warmark's face. And... It's weird that we've spoken so many times about wearing people's faces on this podcast, isn't it? At least it's a different face this time. Yeah, this is true, yeah, yeah. M- Mum will be so happy. Yeah, it's not hers, it's Will Poulter. Is that, that's the, is that, that's the answer, isn't it? What, you would use Will Poulter's face instead? Yeah, I'll just use Will Poulter's face. <laughs> Brilliant, we're on. But yeah, so they, they have this, and then obviously it gets set on fire. There's, Danny is kind of opposite it when we see this final shot, and she's watching, her, I guess, her actions her choices play out in front of her christian is being burned alive christian is still kind of paralyzed and drugged so has no reaction to this which i think is arguably worse right great bit of eye acting though yeah very very good it's not quite frodo tier yeah but it's it's uh, it's definitely up there with the best of them frodo tier because he cries or uh no so that's frodo tears uh, okay I thought yeah. it was Frodo tears. No, so the, the Frodo tears is why he's in the Frodo tear. Okay. But again, going back to what you were saying earlier, this is the point. You see Danny, and the, she she goes through a few expressions on her face while she's watching this. There's kind of the, there is a little, you feel like there's a tinge of sort of horror and confusion, but ultimately ends up in this kind of quite twisted smile. And I think... I'm on Danny's side in this. Like, I think you f- you side with Danny at this point. Um, you certainly sympathise with her in the moment. She has, and talking about the whole arc that she goes on throughout the film, right? She's arguably, yes, it's in the wrong places, but she's taken steps to rid herself of all of this toxicity in her life. Christian, not the System of Down album, but albeit in the most like extreme manner. And she's found her people, whether or not they're the right people, but they're people that have they're there for her and she's gone from this person who was essentially ostracized at the beginning because of her grief to the most celebrated person in the hugger culture at that point in time as, as being the may may queen and i think again there's this other part about you talk about the brightness and all the colors and everything and this is one instance where there is this real juxtaposition between the visuals that you see on screen so you've got Florence Pugh's face at the center of the screen, but she's completely surrounded with all these incredible flowers of all different colors. You've got the bright flowers, she's smiling, and that shot in anything else, you think, oh, there's a, you know, well, I guess there is a celebration of sorts going on, but you'd think, happy times, everyone's celebrating, blah, blah, blah. But actually, what is unfolding, when you really think about what is unfolding, i.e., what, there's seven, eight people being burnt to death in front of her mm. like the contradiction between the two is just oh, i don't know i think it's one of the best shots closing shots in cinema i think it's oh, so yeah. so good but like, like, like i was saying it, it, it's finding that and again which is it's such a weird feeling to leave a film on is oh hang on did i just did i just condone all of that yeah but, uh, so like like to, to I I know it's more complicated than that. I'm just kind of trying to, I'm trying to process why it stuck with, <laughs> but you get what I mean. It, it it's 
it's like to, to be happy for her there do you also have to be happy about the blood eagle do you have to be happy about everything else that has happened uh, you know because like it, it, everyone was shitty but they didn't necessarily deserve to die no yeah and then obviously this leads to the good place <laughs> but no you're right i i can't think of uh I, I i can't think of many closing shots of films that are as powerful as is that no and it is i do, I do really feel like this it's, it's Ari Aster's idea of a happy ending, which is hilarious as well. <laughs> but it is it, in its entirety, like this this film, it truly is Danny's arc, right? Like in the con, yes, it's a it's a film about cults. Yes, it's a film about different cultures and countercultures. But Bo- boiled down, it is a film about her relationship. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely. Well, I think it's. I think it's. It's a film about. I think her. Her dealing with her grief, and also it's a it's it's a breakup movie, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, there's there's just so much to unpack. Yeah, not least that dress, which I think um I think Ariana Ariana Grande tried to buy it. Oh really? I think I remember because did she she wore something or she or she tried so to buy she... it and she was going to wear it like a fancy dress party. So she um, tried to buy it because they auctioned it uh, a museum, like a motion picture museum, um, ended up winning it. Right. Uh, Ariana Grande went on to have a her 27th birthday as a Midsummer theme. I've thrown uh, 26th, 28th, 25th, 29th, 72nd. I, I can't believe any of this because Ariana Grande consistently looks like she's only 16 years old. I'm not the... I think everyone's gone through the age where they uh, try and fob off pop music, but she's great at what she does. She's 27. As I've said to you, Ian, Olivia Rodrigo's album is a fucking banger and I've listened to it over and over and over. Talking of breakup <laughs> movies. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't realise how depressing that album that was it, it, it is a proper you could tell it was written by a teenager yeah yeah ab- absolutely <laughs> it's absolutely it, yeah i just want to let her know everything's going to get better <laughs> it's going to be okay so yeah i don't know what this is what i've read obviously when we're doing a midsummer special i'm going to google ariana grande's birthday so yeah her 27th birthday was midsummer themed okay because her my birthday f- is the 26th of june so day after my brother's oh nice Happy birthday, Ariana, I'm sure you're listening. My, my brother, though, not as good a pop star. No. Will occasionally go through phases where he will sing everything like it is uh, narration from Les Mis. I, I can get on board with that. Yeah. Saying that, I have, yeah, last time I saw him was in the car park to give him presents. So, you know. Uh, my favourite, uh, as we've got on subjects of Ariana Grande, my favourite Ariana Grande um, factoid is the fact that she thought she was getting seven rings tattooed on her hand in Chinese um, and it turned out to be the rough translation was like small Korean barbecue <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, as um, as unfortunate tattoos go is uh, is definitely up there yeah definitely but from small Korean barbecues to massive Swedish ones and we're, ba- we're back on topic <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a hell of an ending right like it's it it takes as i said it takes us full circle and it it does the really interesting thing of yeah like you say it it kind of makes you question a lot of who you're root it's as you mentioned earlier it's like getting to the end of friday the 13th part 2 obviously not part 1 cuz jason's not in part 1 but end of friday the 13th and being on the side of jason so yeah 
You know, those camp counselors shouldn't have been having sex, man. And they deserve every slash they got. Yeah, it, it, it's... Again, the, the, it, it's so many different layers to it. The, and I, I think that is why, as a film, it sticks with you like it does. Because it completely goes against the rules of a horror movie. Yep. Uh, like I said, after you building tension, there's then supposed to be... Not a payoff, but you get what I mean. Like a an act of the film, which is all... There's like a volley Action and things of like that. things yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no shadow. You can see everything that's happening. Like we said, there's only three scenes in darkness. You've been given the entirety of the plot in the first 20 seconds of the movie. Yeah. The, the, the main characters outside of Danny aren't likeable. Yeah. Yeah, it goes against everything that you are trained as a viewer to watch a film as. Which, And then when it breaks all of that, it's so difficult to figure out what you're supposed to think, and that's why it is fucking great. It is, and as I say, this is the this is the perfect perfect end shot for this film and any movie. I think. Well, not every movie. Just just at the end is just Florence Pugh just being like, yeah, yeah. So you have Morgan Freeman walking across the beach to his his old friend from Shawshank, and as you pan up to the sun, you just see. Florence Pugh's face come out and smile. Yeah. I like it. Because obviously she's, she's superimposed over the fire, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so just superimpose her on top of other films. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get behind that. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. The Hobbit door closes and the Florence Pugh smiling face. Velociraptors attacking the T-Rex. And then Florence Pugh smiling face. So that was our, our, our top threes. So we will we will go through... You know, there's obviously more, I, I think, spoilery midsummer conversation we could have. But as is tradition, out of yours, what was your top three? My top three. We, we, we obviously regaled them in uh, chronological order. Yeah, my top three would be um, third place, the Blood Eagle. It is it's horrific, but I think it's if, if it wasn't in the film... It would still the film would still be as impactful. Uh, second place, Danny's smile. I think that, as I said, yeah, it's such a perfect ending to her story arc, and it really draws you in and makes you ask a lot of questions of the film and of yourself. But then, yeah, number one has to be Danny's grief. It's it's so well portrayed throughout the film in the beginning and then throughout the entirety of the movie. So yeah, that's that's my top three. Yeah, so f- for me, I think number three, I'm going uh, the opening mural. Uh, like I said, it, it was massively jarring and it's incredible, but it, it sets the scene very well for everything else that's happening. And those things that are happening include my number two, which is the Atishtupa scene. So the base jumping without parachutes, it sticks with you for so many reasons. So many reasons. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm I'm just thinking about it now. Um, and then number one for me is the communal sex whaling party, and the Danny grief scene that kind of goes along with yeah. it. For a joint top three, and hopefully you're on board for this. I say we combine the sex whaling party and that grief yeah. with Danny's grief, and we just have like a Danny grief double bill, yeah. which sounds horrible, but. I, I, I think they could fall under the same umbrella. Yep, I agree. So I would say, number three, the Atish Stupa scene. 
number two, Danny's smile, just because it is, like we said, it is the perfect final shot of a film. Yep. And even like like we said, we could we could we could do two hours just on that one frame at the end of the film. And then number one, just because it is the so relatable, the Danny's grief in the opening scene and then in the kind of the hall of residence. Yeah. We're good we're good for that. We are we are absolutely good for that. Good. But yeah. So as dear listener, you enter probably like hour three of um <laughs> the Midsummer special. This is why Midsummer wasn't on our list of movies we could talk about for ten minutes without researching. Because yes. we could talk about it for fucking hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing, and and th- that's that's also why I think we had to stick with our our patented top three format because unstructured this this would never have ended. No. I mean, I can only imagine today today when we are post post watching Midsummer on Midsummer after many hours of drinking beforehand what that tube journey home is going to be like in terms of dissecting this film for the upteenth time. Yeah, and, and like you said, that there's so much to... And I, I kind of... I, I touched, on it, touched on it in passing earlier. It it stands up so well to repeat viewings because it is everything is so layered, both in terms of even, like you said, fucking set design, that there's so much foreshadowing and everything is so layered. You do pick up on more things. And because it is done in such a way where it goes against both horror convention and film convention, the first time I, I, I've used the phrase a couple of times now, but you're so kind of like off kilter and unbalanced watching it the first time, you miss a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the second viewing, when you know what's going to happen, opens you up to a lot more kind of interpretation of everything. And I've never had that with another film. There's very few films where I could talk about um, things like Star Wars for this long, but that's predominantly around me explaining to you how I could have done it better. Yeah, yeah. Like there aren't other films I can talk about at this level, and I don't know if it's because I don't know if it's because the central theme is grief, and that's something that's the whole mental health side of things is something that's quite close to my heart and things like that. I don't know if that's drawn me in more because of that side of stuff i don't know if it's because it's so different i don't know if it's because there's so many different kind of interpretations of things i or a combination of them all there's just something there that won't let go of me yeah i and i can say it stands up after i think by the time we watch this today today it will be i think my sixth viewing of it and i, I i'm not sure i'll get bored of it it's 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 so such a good film. Interestingly, so I I like this a lot more than I still liked Hereditary, but I like Midsummer a lot more than Hereditary. Mm. I'm really interested to see where Ariasta goes next. So <laughs> Ariasta goes next sounds like some kind of like Disney movie. Um, is that uh, Ariasta goes next? Is like his curb your enthusiasm? <laughs> yeah, but he's so you you heard of his his next endeavor. Um, I it, it's a dark comedy, but he described it in a really weird way. He described it as a four-hour nightmare comedy. There we go. It's called Disappointment Boulevard. It's got because wack- he doesn't 
he he mentioned it on his the the Reddit AMA mm. we've referenced before that he doesn't want to go back to horror. Yeah, yeah. So obviously you go f- you go for, for nightmare, nightmare comedy. comedy. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix in his first role since he played Joker. Yeah, it's a, apparently it's a decade spanning decade spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. That's it. That's all he's released about the plot of it. But I cannot wait because it's worth. Again, we 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 didn't talk about it at length, but this is his second film. It's the the fact that we're talking about this for a director's second film. Yeah, is insanity. So I think he did. He's had he had two shorts. So he had obviously the strange thing about the Johnsons, and also one called Munchausen, which I haven't seen. But yeah, in terms of features, you're absolutely right. He's he's done hereditary and he's done this. Fuck man. No, I'm I'm I am very excited to see what he ends up doing. Um obviously I think when we left this, I think we both said Florence Pugh was gonna get an Oscar nomination. She did, just not for this. Yeah. So she's gonna be Um yeah. Um I I, I was gonna say I, I'm I'm worried the MCU will draw too much of her time, but Everyone involved in the MCU has also been doing other films, so I don't think it will. I, I still think she's going to be in some very interesting things. Yeah, I, I hope I hope she still continues to pick stuff like this alongside um, alongside those bigger movies. But you would suspect um, being in a relationship with Zach Braff, you're probably going to pick the odd film here and there because obviously, I mean, she's going to turn up into Zach Braff, like whatever Zach Braff does next. Shortly, she is. Oh, is she? I think she is. No, she's not. She was in a short he did. Okay. So it was a competition by Adobe called the Movie Poster Movie Contest. Right. And you basically had to design a movie poster and then the best one would inspire a short film. And that short film was called um, In the Time It Takes to Get There. Uh, which is about the, according to IMDb anyway, uh, the routines and strifes of a disenchanted social media influencer are reimagined with an 18th century backdrop. And that social media influencer is played by Florence Pugh. Okay. It's quite cool. It's on YouTube. It, it was actually very funny. Okay. I, 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 I prefer Zach Braff a lot more as a filmmaker than when he's in his own things. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Because when, he, when he's in his own things, it feels like he's just trying to be JD again. When he's directing other people, like he he did a episode of Ted Lasso. Okay. Oh yeah, because he's yeah, so, he's yeah, good yeah. friends with uh, what's his face, isn't he? Jason Sudeikis. No, no. Oh, of course, no. It's, it's Bill Lawrence. Bill Lawrence. Yeah. That's one. But, but Bill Lawrence did Ted Lasso. Yeah, yeah. But Jason Sudeikis's ex partner is Olivia Wilde. Okay. And Florence Pugh is in her next film, so the follow up to Booksmart. Booksmart, which is talking of like yeah. debut films. <laughs> yeah. So I'm fairly sure Florence Pugh's doing doing. The follow-up to Booksmart. Okay. So you can only imagine that's going to be incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, we've we've ended a marathon episode about Midsummer talking about Olivia Wilde. Yeah. So just to, I mean, just to really hammer it home. Hopefully, we have now proved that we aren't joking when we recommend Midsummer each week. It's been it's been asked. So we had a, a question. Was it yourself? Was it in uh, Vaccine Gate? Yeah, it was whilst I was... When you were stuck in a vaccine queue for two hours? I was stuck hours? in a vaccine queue for two hours and did um, an AMA on the Instagram account. And someone someone asked, when you started doing the Midsummer bit, did you know it was going to be a bit? And the answer is no. Because I think we the, the second ever episode we did, 
so the, the first episode was always intended to be kind of like as a pilot second episode because over lockdown i did hang on let me find the actual title of it because i gave it a really stupid name surely not so over lockdown i did movie recommendations nobody asked for but ian is going to do anyway because everybody is stuck inside and it's a good way to get people watching films i've wanted to talk about for a while this time last year it was the truman show because i was doing that we thought it would be a good idea to kind of do it on the podcast as well so that was the first nobody asked for i did yeah thought it'd be a good idea to do it on the podcast we weren't sure whether to go midsummer or not because midsummer is a film we recommend people all the time we wanted something that was more in keeping with the theme of the episode and then we decided oh we could just do we'll just do both and then i think i jokingly said oh we should just do it every week and then we decided you know what we should just do it every every week. week And then I think that the week after that was your choice. And then you threw Midsummer in after that. And then it became a bit. And now it has become a comedically timed masterstroke. <laughs> Which I'm rapidly running out of ways to uh, to crowbar it in. But um, yeah, it's whilst it is a bit, it's a very sincere bit because it is such a good film. And yeah, as, as it says, I think over the past, what I'm going to guess is about two hours by this point. I hope you can kind of understand why. Okay, so the podcast nobody asked for's top three moments from Midsummer that stuck with us. Number three, we have the Atastupa scene or base jumping without parachutes. Number two, we have the final shot, so Danny's smile. And number one, we have Danny's grief squared. So both Danny's grief at the beginning and Danny's grief after the whole sex whaling party. Uh, but yeah, I think that was that, that was good. And I'd be really interested to... I'm kind of jumping the gun here, and we're going to do things the other way around um, just to mess with your muscle memory. But I'm really intrigued to hear what you guys think about Midsummer. If you love it as much as us, if you don't like it for whatever reason, might not talk to you again. But yeah, just, just really interested to hear people's thoughts on it really and if you have any of those send them over to us on twitter at nobody asked for pod the number four you can also find us there on facebook uh, and you can also find us on instagram at the podcast nobody asked for and at kofi.com forward slash the podcast nobody asked for where you can buy us a coffee and all that money goes to well buying a copy of midsummer for the first person to ask for one and generally making the podcast bigger and better the other thing that we would love is some more juice for the apple algorithm and you can give us apple algorithm juice by leaving us a positive five-star review in that review uh give us episode ideas because we love to use those for inspiration i think our next episode is probably going to be based off one of those and yeah more more apple juice please algorithm type not not the not the drinking but you should try and drink glass of fruit juice a day get your five a day in so yeah that was by far the longest episode of the podcast nobody asked for if you have stayed this long we really appreciate it we hope you enjoyed midsummer and our, our ramblings as much as we enjoyed midsummer and rambling um but yeah what was our movie recommendation again today Ugh, no one asked for this